Welcome back to the ninth episode of the Eduverse Enigma podcast. This week, we're chatting with special guest Craig Frillick, a VR consultant teaching at the Mulgrave School. This episode, we'll be diving into education in the 21st century, the latest VR and AI technologies, and how robot teachers are taking over. You won't want to miss it. Welcome back to the Edgeverse Enigma podcast. Thank you for listening. Today we have a very exciting guest on and a fellow podcaster as well, uh, Craig Furlick. Is that pronounced? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, well done. Perfect, perfect. Craig, thank you for being on the podcast. Really excited to have you on and maybe get some uh, tips from you as well uh, from your podcasting experience. Uh, but to, to start it off, could you just uh, give the audience a little bit of background on on who you are, I guess, to start? Yeah, I just want to add to that that it was so exciting. About a year ago, I had Expert VR and Evan on my podcast, and uh, he's been essential for me as I start to develop my understanding of the well-versed, higher-end immersive VR scenarios. So it's great to, to be on his podcast. In regards to background, I'm a teacher at heart. I've been teaching for almost 30 years, as you can tell from my gray hair. And uh, more importantly, I think for me, the biggest and the most fun part about being a teacher is engaging students, which led me to pursuing and finding efficacy in technology and how technology might engage students and make it fun, make it interesting. And so five years ago, I really started to explore virtual reality as a tool to try and excite, engage, enhance learning for students. And we were lucky enough in Calgary at the time to have a grant of $10,000. So we bought three HTC Vives with nice computers and we set up a little VR lab that uh, I was personally using on my own for a while, but uh, the seed was planted in so many students' minds that they started telling their teachers, like the one student in her biology class said to her teacher, you know, we've got these VR headsets and there's some anatomy in there. And wouldn't it be great if we use that for our unit that we're doing right now in the circulatory system? And so it really percolated and grew because students were just singing the praises of it. And then uh, I moved to Singapore and set up two more spaces within two different schools that would be dubbed or deemed VR labs. And now I'm in Vancouver, you know, rinse, wash, repeat, uh, setting up another VR lab at this school where we've got, again, fortunate enough to have enough money to have 22 headsets. So a nice, big, robust VR lab. Amazing, amazing. And would you say that all of that would be under the uh, the title of uh, academic consultant and technology consultant? I see you have like a couple different roles on LinkedIn between that. You also have a technology integration specialist. And so, um, yeah, all of that kind of fall under those those types of roles. Yeah, that's a good question. Again, I really pride myself on being in the trenches and so always leading with the idea that I'm a teacher at heart. But uh, as I started to explore the medium and, you know, the emerging use of virtual reality in schools and in the classroom, I started just getting serendipitously lots of calls and connections through LinkedIn, LinkedIn so much so that you know, I turned it into uh, a side job or a side business because of the volume of calls of people saying, you know, we're looking into this, but we know that you're actually doing it and you're 
boots on the ground. And so that sort of led me to my second hat or the second job that I hold on LinkedIn, which is as a VR consultant. And so, you know, going into schools and just helping them manage the minutiae that often comes into play when you're just getting started and helping them lower that barrier has been a, a big part, especially these last, uh, you know, two years of just counseling, coaching, giving my ideas on that as a VR consultant. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And I think I would say probably the most rewarding part of that is what you were saying of, I know from my perspective, the most, uh, the best part of it has been like getting that feedback from students and asking for more VR and saying, where are, where are other simulations? Um, but curious, are there any like specific success stories? I guess getting a hundred headsets installed is a pretty big success story, but um, any, any other big success stories that uh, you would say have come out of the, these types of roles? Yeah, and it, it spun from one of your podcasts that you did where uh, the ladies, uh, Ms. O'Brien and the other lady that runs the Indigenous program at Georgian College Angelina was on King. your show. Yeah. And so I listened to that podcast and our the curriculum here out in British Columbia is very entrenched in understanding the indigenous people and there are a lot of cross-curricular links and you know taking how the indigenous educate their children and using those fundamental principles in a lot of you know both social studies curriculum science curriculum etc and so once i heard that podcast we had already sort of set up uh, engage accounts for all the headsets so these are anonymous engage accounts so if headset one is uh, it's engage one. So we started already taking kids into the engage platform. And these were kids from various grades from four all the way up to grade nine. And so when I heard about this, I contacted Ms. O'Brien and I said, wouldn't it be wonderful for you to take some of our students, especially because it's so explicitly connected to their curriculum into some of your virtual worlds that you guys have built and are using to teach Indigenous studies at Georgian College. And she agreed wholeheartedly. And so we're just about to do that. We've been uh, just practicing with the students, all the different sort of ways to get in to engage, as well as, of course, deportment and behavior, because it's a new medium. And you want to make sure that, you know, if you, if you have a guest speaker come to your school, to the auditorium, you know, of course, you want them to, to mind their manners, and you want them to be able to ask good questions and and, and stay focused on that. And so we spent a few lessons with the various grades first, getting them comfortable and used to getting into Engage and understanding that you shouldn't be like maybe rec room running around with your head cut off, teleporting around when you've got a guest speaker. And so now uh, we're just about to pull the pin on that and we're excited to get our, our students connected because of the rich curriculum that we want our kids to learn about Indigenous people uh, to talk to Georgian college experts. Amazing. Amazing. Well, that's a, a huge success story just in, in general, but then I'm happy to hear that it came from the podcast. It's kind of the first, uh, real world connection that I've heard coming out of the podcast that now just starting it a couple months ago. So amazing, amazing. Glad to hear it. Um, and, and I guess talking about podcasts and to take a step back from XR and uh, well, just in general, uh, could you could you give the audience just a description of your podcast, VR and Education, and what you talk about there? 
Yeah, we we're 96 episodes strong. And uh, one of the things that I've really tried to hone in on is to try and make sure that each episode had a pedagogical slant to it. So, you know, we've tackled issues like avatars. We've looked at the issue of, so you have headsets and you've got your first killer app, but now what, and how do you sustain or maintain a VR program? We've also looked into gamification. You know, I, I feel like that's sometimes in some schools, especially in the eyes of many parents that, you know, that's like a swear word to parents. And mm. so I've tried to unpack it and make it sort of sensible to teachers and then parents that it's okay to have a gamified experience inside VR as long as it's aligned to and connected to uh, curriculum outcomes. You know, again, you and I are definitely on the same page because in one of uh, the podcasts that you were on, you talked about keep talking and no one explodes as being, uh, you know, a staple in some of the early years as expert VR was rolling out uh, this medium or this communication tool. And when you were saying that on one of the podcasts that you were on, I was nodding my head because that has been a huge gamified experience that many students just lean into when it comes to understanding these 21st century soft skills like communication, problem solving, how do you work as a team? And anywhere I've been and used that gamified app, it's just been sheer joy, which, you know, we'll probably dive into this even later in this podcast, but education needs to pay more attention to that word engagement because too often the focus of some sort of tool or innovation that you bring into your school is trying to measure whether it improves test scores or is this return on investment? Is this device going to allow our students to do better on content knowledge? And I think for VR, our measurability, how we determine how effective the tool is, shouldn't be that. It should be about, you know, how excited and interested and curious and thought provoking is the tool making for students because schools are having engagement problems all the way from higher ed down to K to 12. You know, there was an ed surge podcast that I listened to about three months ago and they tackled this issue of how kids aren't showing up to lectures for colleges and universities anymore. They're just bored out of their wits and there's no engagement there. And so I think, those schools and universities that are starting to see decline enrollment need to start to worry about engagement. You know, the old traditional model was it was up to the student or the kid to engage themselves intrinsically, but kids are different nowadays. They're digital natives. They need more interactivity. They need to be able to be engrossed in their learning a lot more. And I think we need to meet them halfway by finding tools like VR to do that. Couldn't agree more about midway through through last year, we rewrote our, our vision statement at Expert VR, and it is now to to build a collaborative future where education is accessible, engaging, and impactful. And it's really everything you talked about there. We need to make sure that it's accessible to, to all students around the world so that they have access to this technology, and we're bringing this technology and just this great education to students, making it engaging, whatever that education medium may be, just like you're saying, but then still having that impact side of like, yes, students are learning through this and they're having, it is having an impact on where they're heading in the future. Um, 
with that in mind and making it engaging, how would you kind of describe what it's like to be a teacher in today's world or a professor um, in today's world where you need to not just follow the curriculum that's been here for years, but you, as a teacher, you need to be exploring these technologies and overcoming these types of challenges. Yeah, I see two things in that question. I think first is in an ever-changing world like we're in, again, you know, if you think about what did education look like way back in the days of the Greeks, you know, it was memorizing things. It certainly was very structured and organized. And unfortunately, you fast forward and you put those Greeks into the, the classrooms of today, and it's very similar. So we haven't really changed much since back then. And I think there needs to be a greater change. And that change has a lot to do with one, how we look at curriculum. So are we continuing just to uh, feed facts, like important dates, memorizing vocabulary, and then just asking students to regurgitate those facts, and then maybe the odd hope that the smarter kids will transfer that knowledge into some sort of unfamiliar situation? Or should we be adjusting the number of facts and information that we're trying to stuff into our content or our curriculum, scaling that up back a bit and giving them learning experiences that are way more experiential, that allow them to transfer and see what it might be like to take facts and move them to some sort of real life case study or scenario. And these are where the superpowers of virtual worlds in VR come into play is they're great at conceptual understanding. They're great at taking, you know, tiny little bits and pieces of facts and throwing them into a world where they have to create schema and bigger concepts like systems thinking or exploring the idea of identity. You know, for example, our students, when we meet up with the uh, indigenous leaders of Georgian College, our hope isn't for them to learn about the history of the Indigenous people. It's about seeing their Indigenous virtual worlds and understanding their deeper culture and identity. And that, that's what we might call in education, experiential learning engrossed in deeper conceptual thinking and understanding as opposed to just simply covering the surface knowledge of what a course might play out as. Right, right. So scaling back the the dates and names and everything that people need to memorize today, but having that actual experience so that you might not know the exact date, you can look that up on Google, but you can really connect with the the, the content and what people have been through or what they're going through and just who they are in general. Yeah, brilliantly reset. Well done. Amazing. And I guess with that, um, where do you, I guess, see that that boundary or that, uh, yeah, I guess, boundary of where VR and technology should take over versus where should there not be technology involved or um, there should just be other methods used instead? Yeah, the, the last part that you said, I think, is a big piece to being a teacher in today's day and age. And that is that, you know, you have to be really good at crafting a variety of different 
learning experiences. And those don't mean we throw out necessarily the textbook or the PowerPoint show or the, the Google slides or throw out the YouTube video clips that have been carefully curated and will offer uh, some level of understanding. It's more about can we expose students to a plethora of these learning modalities and experiences so that they develop sort of richer meaning. Now, there's a, a great metaphor uh, in one of the books that I was reading that basically says, you know, let's think about a room and your clothes. The novice learner, when they're first learning a topic, might take their clothes and put them in a pile in front of them in their room. But that pile of clothing isn't organized, that pile of clothing, you know, it's hard to find maybe what, what you wore on Tuesday when it's Friday. Whereas if you think of the expert learner and this metaphor of clothing, the expert learner has been uh, developed such that now their clothing is organized in shelves, it's probably stacked in certain piles, and that expert learner can pull out clothing or information if you sort of follow my metaphor quite easily and then apply it to a new situation. And so how do we create that organization or schema in a student's mind is that we provide them with a huge variety of experiences to, to help build shelves and therefore get them from being a novice learner to an expert learner. And this is a journey of back and forth. And VR has, I think, a huge role to play in today's day and age because it is so experiential. It can be emotional. You know, we think of when, when's the last time you remember something, it's usually wrapped in emotion. You know, our memories, which are long-term, so to speak, have some sort of key con context to them. You know, they're not just these sort of one-off experiences, which are novice learners building piles of clothes. Love it. I love that analogy too. That's a great way to, to look at it because I know I have a pile of clothes right beside me right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. And I guess uh, I want to talk about like XR and VR some more, but because we're on like this side and different tools that, that teachers are using, I'm curious on your thoughts of uh, artificial intelligence in general, ChatGPT, um, and maybe how it could be used for that organizing students' thoughts and teaching them the methodology of um, that is going to work for them. Yeah, the, the quickest and biggest immediate impact that I think AI will help is through avatars. And we're already seeing that in some applications. I know uh, I'm not a developer, but your company is. And I know they're building, if not have already uh, have a proof of concept of taking an avatar and giving it a chat GPT like voice. Uh, virtual speech, for example, has uh, demonstrated that if you go onto virtual speeches platform, you can talk to, you know, I love the little pun that they have, Hugh Mann. So first name Hugh, last name Mann, so human, right? <laughs> and uh, I've played around with that. And, you know, again, I found it to be super engaging. I can put on the headset with a microphone and talk to it and engage in a debate or a conversation. And this is wonderful because currently, if you, if you follow some of the virtual reality design case studies out there, there's a slight immersion break in them because 
you might follow some sort of branching scenario storyline, but you always have to sort of stop and click a button that takes you, you know, down one path because that was your thought process while doing the case study versus the other. And just having this seamless flow where the chat GT, GPT avatar understands what you're saying and you don't have to stop and have a pop-up screen in front of you within the VR to take you down a case study or scenario uh, would be super helpful and even more immersive and engaging. So that's one of the ways that I really see the immediate use of an AI or a language learning model within uh, virtual worlds. You know, another is just behind the scenes, how helpful it is to build these sorts of things. So, you know, I think AI in schools eventually will be adopted. There's still some, um, some people who are resistant and reluctant, but it, it's such a beautiful way just to spark creativity. It's like that. It's like giving you some training wheels to put on your bike so that at least you can start to ride the bike. I think people, you know, who are stuck on maybe creating a VR scene or scenario, you could ask uh, an AI model like chat GPT uh, to give you some ideas to get started. And then you can use your own creative juices to make it better. And that's how we iterate. No, couldn't agree more. We're uh, on, on the AI avatar side of things. We've been experimenting actually with Georgian college for uh, eight months now or so with bringing chat GPT into an artificial intelligent avatar inside of our simulations. We're looking at for like crime scene investigation. After you investigate the crime scene, you have all the evidence. Now you can, now you can go talk to an avatar and uh, as a witness or possibly as a suspect or something along those lines of very interesting there. And then I, I know our team on the development side has been using it. Yeah. Whenever they run into a bug or something, now they're able to feed in a couple pieces of code and be like, Hey, I, I can't find the bug here or I'm stuck here. So very, very interesting to, I, to throw. Oh, sorry. Go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I've, I've seen a lot of examples of, uh, both professors and teachers wanting to take a novel or a story and make it sort of come alive within a virtual world space. And so mm. giving these personas to the avatars and having them act in a certain way, because as anyone knows, when they use chat GPT, if you're good enough at prompts, you can, you know, you can tell it to, to behave like a Disney character or to act like, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone and, and think like they think. And so, you know, how wonderful then for, for students either to be able to build their own stories within there with that tool or relive a, a chapter in one of the novels of Romeo and Juliet through a virtual world experience like this, where the avatar is more alive and is behaving in a certain way with a certain persona. Yeah, it makes me think of like Ready Player Me and or, or Ready Player One, sorry, <laughs> Ready Player One and uh, going in and they're in the different movie scenes and it's like you can now take on any character in there and play it yourself, but then all of the other characters are AI and working alongside you. So interesting. Love it. Love it. Yeah, to, and, like throw the, in... and like that movie, you know, I, I thought – you know, and to get kids to, to see it in such a different light, like in the movie, I loved how it took them a while 
in the car race to figure out that he had to drive the car backwards to win that race. And that's a, that's a beautiful uh, example of when you throw someone within a scene that's so unique and so visceral, how they'll start to think in different ways. Mm. Very good point. Yes. Uh, I guess to throw another idea at you along, along those lines and talking about AI, we had uh, Michael Avis uh, used to be at George Brown College and now is also in the, the VR consulting space here in Ontario. Um, he was on the podcast a couple of months ago and we were chatting about um, AI that like grows up with you. And so it could be the, the AI that um, when you enter kindergarten, it's kind of like an AI companion, I don't know, showing you how to finger paint as a random example, but then as you get older, it learns the the math that you're learning. It learns the sciences that you're learning. It can be kind of like a, a tutor on the side. Curious your thoughts around something like that. Is that taking too much of the teacher's job away maybe um, or something that should be more personable and, and uh, done by a human or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I have two thoughts. One is a good one and that is, you know, we look at, the mission and the vision statements and the strategic plans of most schools and school districts nowadays. And one word that is entrenched in all of them is the goal to personalize learning and to personalize it for students. And so, you know, Saul Khan, of course, from Khan Academy is already piloting this. And with the paid version of Khan Academy, you can have your own personal math tour tutor that is, uh, AI driven. And this is what I love about this is I would argue that there's a large percentage of teachers who might be working in small groups with kids. And, you know, there, there's, there's only so many sort of different ways that you can try and re-explain something to a student where you sort of almost give up to the point where you like spoon feed the answer finally to them. Or I've been a tutor before for high school chemistry. And there's been too many times that I can remember as a tutor for high school chemistry, where I, I probably just gave them the answer and said, let's just move on. Whereas if we have AI tour tutors, like what Michael Avis is talking about, I think they would be way more persistent at coming up with, you know, more and more different approaches to showing them and unlocking sort of the understanding without just giving them the answer, which Unfortunately, have after 30 years of teaching, you know, I'm going to put up my hand and say I've, I've just given the answer a lot of times because it's like I got to move on. So uh, that's, that's what I love about this ability to be able to use AI in this way as a, a personal tutor. And there, it's less emotional for them. Of course, that brings me to my next kind of wonder and, you know, my worry is... You know, you saw uh, the gentleman who was working for, I believe it was Google, and he has quit now and is doing the talks. He's, he's part British and actually part Canadian, and he says we need to put the brakes on AI. And, you know, I would say that's pretty hard. We've let the genie out of the bottle, and it's pretty hard to stuff it back in. But, you know, it leads us to believe that maybe there's more under the hood than a layperson like me can understand because kind of like, iRobot with Will Smith and that movie where, you know, we can follow the three laws where, you know, a computer or robot shouldn't harm a human and so on. 
you know, how much can it start to think on its own? Is there more under the hood than we know? And should we be, I guess, worried at all that if it starts to develop its own uh, understanding of things and grow and learn on its own that, you know, we really now run into a huge ethical problem here. For sure. Yeah. Like I, I don't understand what's under the hood either. And, but I can see how it's almost, it's not if it's when, and we kind of have to be prepared for that for when it happens. And with how fast AI is moving right now, it could be tomorrow. It could be 50 years from now, but it's, it is coming. So it's like, how do we, how do we make sure we're prepared for that? If, if we're just going to keep this development uh, going, uh, curious with that, do you, and with having that AI tutor um, and seeing where that goes and how, as it continues to develop, do you see it as a teacher almost becoming more of a manager of like AI in that way of if every student had a tutor and you're there and the teacher kind of just teaches the lesson and then the students go and they sit down with their AI tutor and you're just managing to watch, um, are they giving correct answers and things along those lines? Or... Yeah, there's still such an emotional side to this profession. And I think, you know, even, you know, you look at the NHL hockey playoff series, you know, why does one team win out against the other? And some of it, or a lot of it has to do with motivation and effort, you know, like one team shows up and they give it 110%. They, they, I think there's a tiny difference between, you know, some of these sports teams and their level of skill. And the biggest difference has to do with, you know, effort, emotional uh, regulation, and all those other things that I think people who are in the teaching profession hopefully are in it because they like that side of things and they enjoy sort of helping with this social and emotional intelligence. They know, you know, where to help navigate a student when they become demotivated and they sort of know how to recipe sort of a, a, a new set of instructional design uh, technologies because maybe they see that they're not as motivated at learning the material with the path they're certainly on right now. So, you know, you did use, I think, in my humble opinion, the correct words is, you know, this is being a coach. It's being, you know, uh, a facilitator. It, it's not necessarily explaining the content or re-explaining it. It's more or less trying to guide them along the way to make sure that they, as this infallible human need little sort of pushes and need sort of new uh goals and new directions to take right right okay i like it i like it um to to re uh re go back into the vr xr side of things because we kind of went down the ai rabbit hole a little bit there uh curious the question that i like to ask most people is what is your favorite vr educational software we talked about keep doffing nobody explodes as a basic one we've talked about engage as a more of an educational based one uh is one of those your favorite or is there another one yeah early on in my career and even in the book that i wrote it was a, a lot of these gamified vendor designed experiences but I, i've sort of matured in my thinking and sort of watched the landscape as it's played out in many schools as a VR consultant. And my new answer is a low code, no code platform for several reasons. We won't in schools scale to the extent of uh, the shiny new toy 
we won't move beyond the shiny new toy unless teachers get really comfortable at also being able to use and make their own experiences. That's not to say that content that like what you listed isn't amazing. It is, you know, keep talking. No one explodes. You know, there's a, another one that I think uh, is a, a huge player in our market is uh, Prisms VR. One of their first experiences was the pandemic. And again, an another amazing experience to help kids use, you know, stories and problem solving to learn math. Uh, but teachers are so dis dis uh, disengaged from that and they need to be more re-engaged and have some ownership and agency. And so, you know, anything that is low code, no code, where you can sit down with a teacher and in maybe a, a few hours, show them how to drag and drop some 3D assets in there, maybe show them how to quickly put a few buttons in so kids have to make some choices and decisions like sorting or ordering. Uh, I think that's my favorite VR application because I know that will continue to push the sustainability of this amazing, powerful learning machine or learning modality into schools. You know, I call it the Google Doc moment. Once teachers could easily learn how to use Google Docs, the, uh, the amount of computer usage amongst teachers who hated using computers went way up because they could tweak you know, they might have had a textbook and they might have had this thick workbook with a bunch of worksheets, but it wasn't quite perfect. Often, you know, either they'd white out some questions or they'd, you know, only photocopy a few parts to it because in teaching, as we talked about, we're coaches, we're facilitators. So the students that we get are so variable. One class we teach in semester one might be slightly different than in the class we teach in semester two. And therefore, how we deliver that content and what paths we take them down is going to vary slightly. And so therefore, just relying on vendor content VR applications doesn't quite cut it for a teacher who's heavily invested in trying to be that coach and follow that pathway that our kids need to go. And so being able to get the teachers excited about building their own VR experiences will make will make this industry take off. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's a the great example of the Google Docs or like PowerPoint and those tools uh, as they were to computers now building something similar at, to for VR. Um, looking at that, do you, if, if you're predicting the future, do you think that that's more of a, a general tool like PowerPoint that can be used for, for every industry? Or do you think it would, because of how contextual and how experiential VR is, does it need to be more of a tool that's like, this is the PowerPoint for firefighters. This is the PowerPoint for welders um, and has like those types of um, interactions and features built into it. I think it depends on how the first uh, topic we were talking about, which was AI progresses. I know you actually alluded to a a program that is a real up and coming called Promethean. And so if a VR low code, no code platform can start to adopt AI to the point where I can just type or speak in, make me a couch. And then I, right now I know we're at the point where it's just point clouds. So it's very uh, rudimentary, but 
making like a really high quality looking couch and then being able to inside, you know, the VR platform, whether that's in the headset or on your computer, be able to tell it where to put the couch and then being able to spawn, a, you know, a 3D skybox environment that is contextually rich for whoever we're teaching it for, uh, whether that's firefighters or whether that's, you know, students trying to learn uh, Romeo and Juliet. If AI gets so good at doing these sorts of tools, then I think one generic platform should suffice because AI is doing a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to where to put the 3D model, what does the 3D model look like, you know, even to the point of the, the low code stuff, like make me two buttons over there, you know, and have one button say uh, A and have one button say B, you know, these sorts of things, which, you know, I hope will come quicker. They will unlock the potential of the teacher to know how to create that world just the way they want it to meet sort of the learning deficiencies that their students are having for that particular semester and that particular group of students. For sure. For sure. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I haven't, haven't thought about it in that way too much of, we've been looking at different like authoring tools, uh, and things like rec room and engage where you can build worlds. Um, and, and then on the complete opposite side of things, I've been looking at Promethean and all these cool AI tools, but didn't really think of how exactly those would come together. So that's a, yeah, love that. Love that. Um, obviously that's kind of, it seems like one of the biggest barriers to mass adoption in the education space, having those tools so that educators can build their own lesson plans and their own content. What other, um, big barriers of adoption do you think there are out there? Teaching teachers to let go of, as I alluded to earlier on, the memorization of content. I would say there's, because so many schools get funding and are ranked and ordered according to how well they do on standardized tests, and these are mostly, you know, multiple choice type tests, they, they don't and I agree with them, they don't necessarily see that putting kids into an experiential learning experience, which is rich and robust with emotion and engagement, is going to help them do well on these multiple choice type tests. Uh, and and I, like I said, I agree with them. The, the superpowers of virtual worlds and virtual world experiences is deeper thinking. It's putting, you know, content and connecting them to bigger ideas of concepts. It's about problem solving, uh, which those sorts of curricular outcomes aren't necessarily gonna show up on multiple choice type tests. It's too hard to write a good question that would, would do that. And so, uh, you know, teachers are handcuffed in a way if their school is re relying so much on the test taking regime and spitting out, you know, those sorts of things. It was so encouraging to hear uh, on one of the podcasts, I think it was Ed Surge again, how some of the um, Ivy League schools are starting to rely less on the SAT and more on student portfolios and more on those sorts of things that I think VR can be very helpful with. Uh, so, you know, it's encouraging out there, but until teachers can move away from being uh, the sage on the stage and teaching didactically where they're just filling information to a student's head and then just moving on to the next topic and all that sort of that that uh, engrosses the traditional model of teaching and learning we we won't see 
a mass adoption. Great insight there. And I think, I, I guess I'm curious, where do you see that testing moving? Because like the, I think the secondary option to uh, multiple choice and tests along those lines is essay or case study writing. And, but that's an area that's being disrupted by chat GPT very much and hard to, to regulate and watch how students are, are writing those essays. Would you say it's more like you have to do some sort of action within the virtual world and, and that's the way to test or how do you see that moving in a, a perfect world? Yeah. I mean, w what you said is, is kind of neat because we often hear uh, educators like college professors or university professors, as well as uh, K-12 teachers say, well, if my students go into a virtual world experience, how do I, how do I assess them? And, you know, I, I wrote an article on LinkedIn many, many months ago about NFL football and how much they heavily rely on gameplay and video footage. And VR is, you can easily record what someone does in a virtual world. And I think, you know, you sort of hit the nail on the head there when, you know, if we're shifting more towards more action and, and what we do as a demonstration of what we know, then, you know, having video footage of what a student did inside the VR experience and having, you know, even having them look at it themselves afterward, kind of like an NFL football player would, you know, let's say a defensive lineman just finished a series of downs and they go right back to the bench and they, they get the iPad out and they, they quickly have a look right then and there when it's still fresh in their mind, some of the mistakes they, they might've made on that set of downs or that set of play, same idea in VR is a student could literally sit down after they've taken the headset off or finished the virtual world experience on the computer and just analyzed, what did I do well? You know, what do I still need to improve on? And, you know, Finland as a school system has hadn't, hasn't had standardized tests for years. And they're ranked one of the top in the world because they're so focused on phenomenon-based learning, which is sort of what we're talking about now. Like, it's about how you act, not necessarily what you spit out, uh, you know, on a piece of paper that might or might not be sort of hidden within your brain. Interesting. I, I had no idea about that in Finland. And yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's the perfect way to start testing people. And uh, the NFL example is a, a great example of that because everyone knows that in every sport, they, they're taking that game footage. And I didn't know they were watching it right on the bench, but uh, definitely knew that they would watch it afterwards. So interesting, for sure. I, I see that we're, we're kind of coming up on time here. So what I'd like to do near the end is kind of a, a rapid fire where I say a couple words and try to respond in one word or a one sentence at most of uh, your thoughts or what comes to mind first when I say this word. So we'll start off pop culture. Ooh, uh, for pop culture, for me, it has to be uh, ready player one. It was such a influential movie for me. I read both ready player one and ready player two, and I love both those books and it just helped me sort of see what the dystopian future might be for us with AI now on the uh, forefront and what uh, that world might be like. Love it. Yeah. I wish we had more time. We'd jump into the, the Neuralink side of things that's uh, presented in Ready Player Two. But, uh, conference or conferences? I would love 
to see more VR conferences. I think, uh, like I said, this, this connection that you have helped me make with Georgian College, where our students especially are going to meet in a virtual world that is Indigenous, uh, it, it just breaks the barrier. I would argue teachers still want to get students out and about outside of the walls, the brick walls of their school. They just don't have the money nor the time. And I think virtual worlds and virtual conferences where we actually use our embodied avatars to do that, I hope it's going to just keep getting better and better. For sure, for sure. Uh, don't know if you have an opinion on this one, but Unity or Unreal? Yeah, neither for me. No. So uh, I would add a third column, and that's uh, you know a low-code, no-code champion, hopefully powered by AI, like I said, where we can... And maybe it is a version of Unity or Unreal that now a teacher can sink their teeth into. I have learned a little bit of Unity and Unreal Engine. I just feel like the time it takes me to do that is just... Uh, it's too hard as a teacher. We're so busy with marking and helping deal with social emotional needs of uh, students and coaching that uh, those two platforms just are, I would argue, overwhelming for even someone like me who's like a tech geek. Oh, for sure. I'm I'm a tech geek as well and run a VR company and I hardly know how to use Unity. That's <laughs> what we use for everything. So yeah, no, couldn't agree more. Uh, NFTs or educational NFTs. Yeah, n never not interested. I, I think this stems from my idea that, uh, you know, my dad grew up and, you know, he first was worked in the potash mine in Saskatchewan and then became a janitor and started his own janitor company. And so what, what he instilled in me was that you work hard for your money. And so I still see NFTs as such a volatile thing. It's like a fringe thing. And, uh, you know, just like any fringe thing, the risk involved uh, just is too much for me that I, I steer clear of it. You know, do I understand maybe decentralized might be good? Yes, but it's just money is, it's like talking about religion. Money is so hot a topic for many people, especially in today's day and age where we're living in an inflationary world that, uh, you know, to start playing a bit of a gambling game with it is too much for me. For sure, for sure. I guess... I know I'm kind of derailing this from the rapid fire, but um, I, I saw last week uh, that you joined the the Ed Three DAO and are getting involved there. So, like, I guess just curious on your opinion of something like that versus the NFTs that we've seen, like in in the world of like the board apes and and those sorts of things that are out there. Yeah, one of the reasons I aligned with uh, the Ed Three DAO was more or less they were just looking for someone to design a course on the metaverse for educators and that that appealed to me i think if we're going to democratize this particular you know uh technology which you know again i, I think educators especially and unlike maybe entrepreneurs or business people we don't get too caught up in the minutiae of what the real definition is of the metaverse i think many educators just see it as metaverse equals virtual world you know, equals some kind of virtual reality. And so if we just kind of put all that into this big basket, you know, I think uh, teaching educators how all this works from a practical sense where I've been in the trenches doing it and using it for so long appealed to me. And that's why I aligned with uh, that particular organization is just to help make sure that when uh, I deliver or give them that course, 
which will be asynchronous, that uh, it has lots of practical examples of things over the last few years that I've learned of do's and don'ts and so on. Amazing, amazing. And the next word was the metaverse. I think you kind of just answered there uh, of your thoughts on the metaverse. So the, the next one, education. So do you want me to skip over metaverse then? Yeah. Uh, if you have something to add, I think you kind of uh, touched on it. But if you have something to add, go for it. I, I do have something to add with that because, I mean, we're seeing it right now. And that is uh, more and more, again, propping up like like VR. And that's an uh, article saying that the metaverse is dead. And I actually am, you know, I disagree with that. And I disagree that it was a fad. Was it hyped up way too much? And were there so many people looking just to gain a whole bunch of money out of it. Absolutely. But from, again, me always taking the point of view or perspective as an educator who's worked with kids and college students for so many years, I think that's good for education. Let's let it settle down. You know, we shouldn't in education be adopting tools and technologies that aren't completely aligned with what we already know about how we learn. And and we do. The, the science behind learning and why we should be thinking about using the metaverse, the bridge there is so well built. We learn so much easier and better and we store things in our long-term memory if we provide context, which a metaverse type platform will do for you. Second, we learn better by actively engaging in the material. And again, the virtual world or a metaverse type platform that's well designed with stuff in it that you can think about and sort and move around there, there's already science of learning behind the fact that that is good for learners and education. So because of those two things, I don't think the metaverse should go away in the mind of educators because we already know all this stuff. For sure, for sure. Uh, next one was education as well. I think education, this is their tipping point with AI and chat GPT and the fact that as we've talked about kids, you know, there's no denying it. There are kids left and right and center in their homes, having it help them with their essay. And so if we're just assigning traditional assignments, like write me an essay about what Romeo uh, and Juliet were going through in uh, this play or this novel, that, that's not going to cut it anymore because the AI is going to help kids so much. We need to start to think of more uh, creative and experiential ways to engage our students in learning that they deserve instead of, uh, you know, the minutia of just spitting out sort of traditional knowledge or facts that uh, probably don't help kids lean in and engage. For sure, for sure. And uh, last uh, two ones here, quick ones, favorite book? Probably How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Uh, one of my uh, coaches in hockey, actually, when I was 17, recommended it to me. And it, I mean, it, it, it really changed my life because, uh, you know, although I wasn't an introvert, it taught me so much about, you know, kind of like this podcast, people like to be asked questions and people, you know, knowing people's names, all these little fundamental things are, are so key to having a successful life when it comes to social, emotional learning and, uh, and people in general. 
just read it uh, a couple months ago and couldn't agree more. Uh, I've, I've been putting it off for a while because of how many people talk about it, but uh, it will definitely stood up. So. Amazing. Uh, last one, very similar. Favorite movie? Ooh, probably Caddyshack. Uh, I okay. am a, an avid golfer. Uh, I'm not that great, but uh, so... <laughs> Because, uh, you know, there's just, I think we just need to laugh more in life. I think uh, that, you know, if the pandemic has taught us anything, we need to sort of take life a little less seriously. And so movies like that, for me, are essential just to, to unplug and, and just giggle and laugh and, and, and hate, uh, hate little rodents that dig holes in our, in our uh, <laughs> lawn. At our golf course, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then last question, uh, outside of the rapid fire, but the last question, who should we have on the podcast next or what type of person should we have on the podcast next? If that's an AI expert or anybody. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One of the people that's really crafted and certainly helped me, uh, understand the best way to approach learning inside virtual worlds and, uh, is super articulate would be Anarupa Ganguly from Prisms VR. Again, if you look at their content and how they're rolling out their content, it, it makes sense for what we as instructional designers and educators know about uh, how people learn. You know, you pose a sort of a problem and then you get, you scaffold them to try and solve that problem. So that would be probably one. Uh, from a businessman's perspective, Steve Grubbs is doing some really good things. You know, he, uh, He's all over the place. You know, um, I have a lot of respect for him in, in the fact that, uh, you know, he's taken a little smart up, a startup company in a genre that is really hard to scale and he's doing it. He's scaling. And just from a business perspective, getting that point of view, he would be really good. Awesome. Well, we'll reach out to both of them and hopefully they both agree. I know we're, we're right at time here, but wanted to give you a, a quick uh second if there's any current projects or just your consulting or anything in particular that you would like to plug at the end here or your podcast um, yeah i think again just leaving people with the notion that uh it's just hard to deny the idea that uh, this medium isn't worthwhile like uh, every time i put a headset on a student i've yet to hear anyone say oh, that sucked, or boy, you know, that was uninspiring every single time. And I would say if I had to give a ballpark figure, it's over, it's in the thousands of kids that I've helped put headsets on that have walked away and most are like, that was way better than I thought. Or most of them are like, when can we do this again? And so, you know, let's let's stop measuring how well we can sit them down and make them do a test now that they've tried VR. Let's pay way more attention to some of these qualitative observations that we're hearing in regards to what kids say about VR. And so I think we need to shift that. Too many people are like, show me your return on investment by pre and post test results. And then maybe I'll buy some VR for your school. And that's not, I think the way for us to approach it, to get VR into schools. For sure goes back to that engagement side of things that we were talking about earlier and yeah couldn't agree more 
Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. We'll make sure that your LinkedIn, your podcasts, and any other links you'd like for us to uh, link are linked below in the show notes. Um, but thank you again for taking the time. It was, it was great chatting with you and uh, we should do this more often. I agree. Thank you. Awesome.